Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to Why the Cast, man. Why the Cast, man? A podcast about Why the Last Man on FX on Hulu. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we have a special guest here to hopefully answer yes. the question, Why the Cast, man? Eliza Clark. Finally. <laughs> Finally. I think we're uh, meeting our God right now. <laughs> Why the Cast, man? Yes, yes you're a part of it. it. You're a part of it. Yes. yes. Uh, Eliza yes. Clark, the show writer of Why the Last Man. Welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. So excited to chat Very about it. Here, this show. This is, uh, I don't know when people are going to be listening to this necessarily, but this is the day of the final episode. Before we even get to the show, what has today been like for you? Just a flurry of yeah. tweets and responding to people and. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I'm I'm like on a crusade to get the show picked up elsewhere. So I'm there's a lot you. of tweeting in my life that wasn't there two months ago so Mondays are everybody's like, dream everybody's yes, dream exactly. is. <laughs> more tweeting that's all we all need for our mental health no i yeah so i've been doing a little bit of tweeting i like i don't know what the kids say i clapped back at a couple of like shitty dudes yes, on Twitter. yes good <laughs> what am i doing what am i my husband was like stop i was like oh no. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah uh, well, what is this? Uh, I mean, to take a huge step backwards here, uh, there was so much focus on this project because obviously it's a beloved comic book property. It went through a very long development process even before you came on board. What was it like when you joined? What was your reaction? Did they approach you? Did you pitch them? How did you end up getting hooked up with FX for Why the Last Man? Yeah, I mean, this book has, you know, it it finished its run in 2008, Um, I read it for the first time in 2009. It's my favorite comic book. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah, it's the first gift my husband ever gave me. Um, Wow. When we were coworkers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I I love it. And uh, it's gone through, you know, there have been movie versions and other TV versions. Um, And when I came on board, they had just, they had shot a pilot with another showrunner and then decided not to go with that version of the show. And they approached me as a writer, I think that they liked. Um, and I was like super gung ho about doing Why the Last Man, but I was not, I didn't really want to do somebody else's show. Um, mm-hmm. And they sort of said like, well, what if you just could do it from the beginning. And so <laughs> I did get to inherit a couple of great actors. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we 
we sort of said to all the actors, like, you know, you signed on for something that uh, has changed. So you can, we'd love to have you, but it's okay if you want to leave. And some of them did leave. Um, so I got to cast my, you know, a bunch of my main characters and yeah. And then we were off to the races. So. Uh, why do you think um, this, this story um, took on so many forms and then how did that um, inform your sort of retaking it and, and building into your own version of it? Uh, I don't know why it's been so hard to, to, for this to become a thing. Um, because it's a, it's such a great story and it's an adventure yeah. and a road trip. And it's also like an, it's a post-apocalyptic story that has humor and some optimism, um, and romance and like all that stuff. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think I might be the first woman that's ever uh, taken it on. Which, oh, maybe there's a secret sauce maybe, there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and yeah, I know. I mean, there's a lot of world building that has to happen. I think it's partly why the beginning of the season is a little slower. I mean, it just is like there's a lot of ground that needs to, you know, track that needs to be laid. And I think about halfway through the season is when you know, you've done some of that work and then you, it's like a little bit more uh, propulsive at that point. Did you feel that in the writer's room though? I mean, I certainly felt that as a viewer because mm -hmm. taking it all the way back pre-apocalypse, even in the first episode, that's definitely less compressed than it is necessarily in the comic book. But was there a point in the writer's room where you felt like, okay, all right, now we're into it. Now we're like running, we're firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Uh... I think that with a cast this big where everybody is so talented and I wanted to, you know, I listened to your, your, uh, episode 10, uh, you know, podcast, uh, this morning. Um, and you know, like oh, I, I like the way you guys were talking about Nora and I think that that's a really good example of like, I, you know, I think about the show as long form storytelling and the way that I like to watch television is, you know, character based. And so for me, it didn't feel slow. Like it doesn't feel, I'm very proud of the beginning of the season. It doesn't feel slow, like boring, but it feels like, you know, like what you guys said, like what, like, what is the point of this character? Like, why is she digging this grave and why are we watching it? But the hope is that then when you get to the end of the season, you're like, oh, all of this was building to that. And it's really satisfying. And I find that really satisfying. I feel like there's a sort of novelistic, way that television series can you know can tell stories um and yeah but I think in the writer's room the second half of the season did feel like the show to us like right. you get the trio together finally and then you're like oh now that's the show and and also like the further away you get from the event I think the more fun there is mm -hmm. um and part of the way I know I'm now I feel like I'm just pontificating i'm sorry but uh no, i feel like part no, of that's that's the concept of podcasts so that is what ahead. a podcast is sure, sure. and but it's a great break from us just guessing what your pontification would be <laughs> i feel like you guys are really you guys have good guesses um oh, i think that part of also what i was trying to do with the adaptation in updating um the sort of gender aspect of the show meant that we had to take the event seriously like it's horrific that everyone with a y chromosome dies it's not like a funny thought experiment it's 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 horrible um and so i think like that's also why the beginning of the season is dark and yeah. grief and you kind of which the comic book 
gets to sort of skip over because it's mm-hmm. right. Um, well, yeah. And I, I think, I, I think we've seen uh, shows like the walking dead. We've seen like post-apocalyptic shows where it's just mired in that darkness and it never sort of breaks free from it. And what I, one of the compliments I want to pay you in this show in general is just like breaking past that. There was a moment in the, in the first episode where you get to see sort of everyone's experience come together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love that because then we're all there with them and it becomes one thing. And then, then we can move past it. When I feel like so many shows is like, well, what did that character think about? And then we're just stuck in it. It's like being in the mud for so long. Yeah. We made, I mean, we, I, I tried to make very, uh, I mean, I made those choices in the writing and then Louise Friedberg, who directed that episode, made really strong directorial choices about what you see and what you don't see. Like, there's a reason why you don't see Kimberly's dead kids. Like, we don't need to see that. We've already seen three little boys running around and screaming and we know what's going to happen to them. Like, we don't need to see that. And also her story is all about, like, pushing that grief away. But the same is sort of true, like, the way that um, Louise shot... Nora coming into the bedroom uh, and finding her husband and her son, and you barely can see them. And, you know, it's like, it wasn't, uh, it's supposed to be visceral. It's supposed to be point of view. And it is supposed to be this sort of all encompassing feeling. And then we can move away from it. And then, you know, I think by like episode six, the world has become weirder and funnier and stranger and like, you can see that happening over the course of the season. It's like season two would be a lot of fun. Will mm-hmm. be a lot of fun is the hope. That's the spirit. Oh, and one, one other thing I want to say before, um, I guess before Alex talks again, is, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, is I feel like this show is created both uh, directorially and in the writing um, with such confidence. It feels like there's so much like uh, we, they will get it as long as we tell this story. I feel like that is so hard for so many shows to nail is to be able to like this. We don't need to tell them more. We don't need to tell. We can just show. Is that something that you were like, let's just push through it? Or were you in each episode sort of overwriting and then pulling back and just sort of tweaking that line? I mean, thank you. That is also how I thought about it. I did not get a second season though. So we'll see if that was like the right. <laughs> no, I think that uh, that's just the kind of, television I like to watch like I don't want to see a bunch of exposition I want to watch people change in the way that I cannot recognize it I want to understand their feelings and why they're doing the things they're doing or if I don't understand it I want to be asking questions that aren't like what the fuck was that and more am I swear I'm allowed to swear yeah yeah yeah, of course (laughs) um but like you know I thought, I mean, not to just like be a, not to just be like a fangirl about your podcast, but like the conversation you guys had about um, Nora and like her and, and whether or not she is trying to protect her daughter or she's a sociopath Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, I think those are worthwhile. I think both of those are a little bit true. Like we could talk about that if you want, but I think that that, um, you know, those kinds of questions are the questions that I think are like worthy of a of an audience's attention as opposed to like everybody's depraved and everything is <laughs> you know it's i don't know like action for the sake of action sex for the sake of sex like none of that stuff appeals to me 
Yeah. I, I just wanted to jump back and talk about something that you mentioned earlier in terms of the fleshing out the world as you go. And I, I think those are some of the things that really stuck with me throughout the season. Uh, specific things that I thought about a lot are the Radiohead tribute that I yeah. think is so haunting and beautiful. But like you were saying, funny and weird at the same time. Or also once we're past, and we talked about this in the podcast, but once we're past that initial shock of everybody dying, blood pouring out of all of their orifices, getting that shot of Ampersand walking, and I think it's like episode five or six or something like that. He's walking while 355 is sucking up the gas. Seven and there's seven. just dead bodies. Yeah, there's just dead bodies there. And right. he just sort of pushing a ball past him. And it makes you realize, oh, yeah, there's dead bodies everywhere. They're just part of this world. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the sort of the, the, one of the things we talked about a lot in the, I mean, I, to the, to the confidence thing, like, I think that what I tried to do was assemble a group of storytellers at all levels. So, you know, uh, and I think that's, that's always the hope for a television show, but that was just like very important to me that it, that our production designer be a storyteller and our costume designer Mm. be a storyteller and that it be super collaborative. So, you know, we made a bunch of rules about, you know, what people wear in this world or what happens with dead bodies. Like we're, there's no dead body that you see on screen that there isn't a story of why they're still there. That doesn't, it, you don't need to know what the story is of the man and the dog and the fishing, you know, RV or whatever. But like Alex, my production designer, she has thought about why he's still there and why no one came to pick his body up. And I feel like that way you're not, Um, and I think that that kind of care in the details gives you a cumulative effect. Hopefully it's not, you know, you don't necessarily need to, you know, know the answer, but at least I think that's what that steady hand is, or at least that's what I'm, what I'm hopeful is happening. (laughs) I I think it came through. Uh, Just, uh, just real quick on that. Like down to like the characters the two women that come in um at the pool in the last episode and i'm like they they feel like care like i want they they could have a whole another episode off on there like we spent so much time with Roxanne um in this uh first season and it was great we had a roller coaster ride with her and the detail that we get to experience of her life on all from all these different angles even i thought was really again hard to do until you see the final product. You're like, oh, it did work. We uh, we do believe that's a person, even <laughs> though she's a crazy person in like nine ways. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, or that also like if you had the thought when you met her, like, wow, the to- the tone of this character feels a little bit different than the tone of the rest of the characters, and then you find out it's because she is approximating a television character that she admires. Yeah, like, exactly. There's a, there's a purpose to it. Um, yeah, I mean, to the to the little character, like the the two women who burst into the um, pool, we did like we rehearsed with everybody. We did we did zooms oh, with every single character basically that speaks on the, um, on the show. And they all had, there was a story there. And so I, and that doesn't happen on TV. And it was just, I mean, maybe it was because of COVID and we were all like bored or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I had a lot of work to do, but we were like, we're just going to do this differently. And I think it does. I don't know. I think like the guy who three, five, five kisses and then blows up in the, in the first yeah. episode, like we had an hour long meeting with that guy. And it was like, he was amazing. He was a great actor. His name was Max. And he like, 
you know, we had a whole backstory for those two characters. And so then that relationship feels lived in, even though it's only on screen for a minute. The, I love that, the piano but, teacher that Sam encounters. Yeah. I was uh, was same thing. I was just like, who's this person? We, we don't even see them again. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. I love it. No, that's great. It feels very comic book to me, comic booky to me in a certain way. It feels like you could have a bunch of one shots going off about these other characters and fleshing them out. Hey, maybe maybe it'll happen at some point. That's uh, definitely what I was thinking. I mean, like that's what I uh, I love that about Why the Last Man, like the book that I that there are moments where you're suddenly with a character that you'll see again in five issues or 10 issues, um, or you may never see again, but they feel like fleshed out in some way. So that's what we're fun for. I do want to ask you a bit, uh, just because we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but Yorick's humor it seems like such a very difficult, precise thing to hit. And it almost also feels like you developed and worked on his jokes and how he is funny or not funny to certain people over the course of the season. So what was that process like? How much workshopping went into Yorick's specific lines? I mean, I, I think Yorick is very funny. And mm-hmm. I think that, <laughs> but I also think that he's like a pain in the ass. Like, so you have to, he can't be, I, I, I mean, Ben Schnetzer is incredibly funny. Like he's a very facile comedic actor. Um, mm-hmm. My One of my favorite things in, in episode 10 is where he's like having that sort of sexy conversation with Sonia where he's feeling super uncomfortable. And then 355 walks in and he does like finger guns at her. And he's like, yeah. hey, want breakfast? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's like so awkward and dumb and hilarious. And that's all Ben. Um, yeah, I mean- I felt like there's a line you have to walk with that character because he's also going through a tremendous amount of like cognitive dissonance. Like he's having, um, he's having immense survivor's guilt and his father is dead and everyone he knows, you know, half of the people in his life are dead and he may never find his sister again. And where's Beth? And she just broke up with him. So he's like, and I think if he were funny all the time, it would be annoying um but yeah i don't know i don't know if i've answered your question but well, you just kind of let the character drive the humor mm-hmm. and, and hearing what you say makes me think in the earlier episodes when i was like oh he's trying to be funny and he's not really doing it it felt like oh that's because the character is wildly uncomfortable it doesn't know what he's doing and is trying to fall back on these like yeah. sort of weird poorly timed jokes and then only later when he gets uh to the sort of utopian community um with uh with sonia that's when he's like he he feels like he's like oh i'm i'm pretty funny watch and then he does it and and that's it and it works well and he's like i think he's a people pleaser and you see that in episode 10 when you're back with the family in their family dynamic like he's trying desperately to like keep the peace and he knows that his sister is sitting there like a ticking time bomb and his girlfriend is there and it's like everything is so fucking uncomfortable and he just is like joking and joking and joking and he does that in episode five when they meet dr man it just doesn't go over well because neither of those women is like particularly interested in him as a person <laughs> at that yeah. point like they're like we don't care about your tuna fish sandwich joke and shut the fuck up like we are <laughs> doing something but i mean i think I also tend to think that comedy, that like humor is funnier when you know people, like when you know, like there's not jokes. I mean, there's a couple. I think Johnny Appledick is a funny joke, but I think that there's not like a ton of jokes. (laughs) Um, It's more like, 
once you as the more you know the people the funnier they are i think yeah uh i wanted to ask you about the flashback scene that we get in episode 10 was that one of those things that was like a backstory thing that suddenly felt like oh this is going to work for this final episode or did you always have that in your back pocket and knew you're going to pull that out in the finale no, I actually had planned to, I planned to have a flashback. I don't like flashbacks as a device, generally mm-hmm. speaking. I think that they're lazy. Um, so <laughs> it's why, like, in the Roxanne episode, it's told in that sort of disjointed backwards way so that it, there's, like, another purpose behind it and it, ha- it, it there's a cumulative effect and there's something interesting happening with the structure. Like, I don't, I really don't like, when I'm watching something and it's like, there's a question in the present. Well, like, let's go back and find out the oh, answer. You like, must love the TV show Lost, loved right. by well, one yes. of us on this program. I don't know who. I really like Lost. I really liked Lost. I really did. Anyway, but it's not my, that's not my yeah. favorite thing. Um, and I, and I also know that it's just as a writer, it's like the easiest thing. So anytime you do the easiest thing, you feel like a hack. I do at least. Um, so I, but I had planned on there being a flashback intent of starting the episode with Allison on the day of the event, but Ah. instead we decided to start season two that way. So we'll ah, that is a thing that um, because I think a lot of season two will be about what Allison's research was and how that how that may or may not have, you know, led to this event and what she's hiding and all of that stuff. Um, and and uh, that dinner came out of a conversation with those actors um, early uh, on. Really? Like, yeah. During the pilot, we had a like we had a bunch of rehearsals and sort of character work and they talked about their characters and what they, you know, and they had a bunch, they created a bunch of like shared memories. And one of them was this dinner. And I was like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Later. <laughs> and I think like uh, the reason I like that flashback in 10 is that I don't think it's actually there to like answer what happened. Like it's not, that doesn't tell you oh, this is why Hero and her mother aren't, it's it's a piece of it, right? And maybe it was the last moment, but it's not like, you know, some big event. It's the same thing with Roxanne. It was like, we, we you know, we talked about like what happened to Roxanne? Like what did men do to her that has made her who she is? And it was really important to us to have it not be some horrific yeah. thing, not for it to be some like rape or something, but in fact, it's just the banality of like living as a woman every day and the bullshit you have to go through. Um, And I think the same is true in a different way of that um, family dynamic. Like you're living with this family and you're feeling the ways that their identities are being shaped by how the others in the family see them or what, you know, the roles they play, but it's not like, here, here's the answer you've been waiting for. Well, and what I especially appreciate about it, because I, I'm surprised to hear that it wasn't planned because it feels like such a culmination. It's not answering a question that was posed. It feels like it's like, oh, it's all been leading to this. We meet this, this family disparately and they're like by themselves and then they go through, they get even further apart. And then we see this final scene of them having dinner together 
and they're just as far apart, even though they're sort of emotion. They're like emotionally far apart, but physically together. And I, I, I thought it was such a nice way uh, to end uh, this first season of these characters that will may never see each other again as they may never sit around the table again. And one other thing on what you said about flashbacks, I think they are easy on the front end. I feel like shows a lot of shows do a bad job of coming out of the flashback and being like, remember, this is the story. And it, it, that's what I don't like about them is uh, when you come back to the present day, I'm like, oh, right. And it just there's an uncomfortableness there that most shows can't nail. Uh, with flashbacks. I also think it's about point of view. Like, so one of the things I like about the way it was done in episode 10 is that Daisy von Schurlermeyer, who is the director of that episode, did a really awesome job transitioning the um, visual style from flashback to the present and back and forth. And also each scene is so rooted in subjectivity and point of view, which was something we talked about a lot for every episode. Um, So you're sort of, even though it's not literally like this person is thinking of this night, because that's like the thing I don't like, you are sort of experiencing, okay, this part of this dinner is hero's part of the dinner. And this part is where Jennifer starts to realize that her husband's phone keeps going off. And this is the part where Yorick is like, oh my God, oh my God, like why this is going to go badly. You know, like there's a Anyway, so I I just think she fucking nailed the directing. On, you know, it, and what did what did um, what did Jen whisper? Jennifer Brown whisper to Hero on I the way out the door. What did you know? Come on, give me I, that. You know, there at one point I had written it in the script and then I took it out because I didn't. Uh, I think it's better to because I think. Uh, well, I mean, she, uh, Hero sort of talks about it in four, in episode four, when she talks to Sam and says, you know, she, she said I was selfish and self-destructive and cruel. And I don't know that that's necessarily the exact words that she said to her, but I think it's a moment of rejection. It's a rejection moment for Hero. And what I think is super interesting about that whole scene is that Dean, the dad, is cheating on his wife. And the two people who are angriest at each other are Hero and Jennifer. So let me ask you about Hero, since we're talking about her and part of the phrase, but the hero's journey, I guess, this season, because it almost seems to me particularly one of the things that I liked about this flashback, not to keep harping on this, but it's a nice point for focusing out on the other characters, is she almost seems to reflect a lot of the other people in her lives and sort of take them in, whether it's Sam or Yorick some of the time or Roxanne or Nora slash Victoria later on. But this is really one of the only points we get to see her lash out at Jennifer in particular. So how how did you view her and how did you view where she ends up in that final moment when she's confronted with Yorick in the present? I mean, I have an, I have an immense amount of empathy for Hero. I think that she hates herself in ways that um, in some, I mean, everybody is capable of hating themselves, but women are particularly adept at it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think she's got, uh, the, the way I always thought about it was that you know Jennifer put a ton of pressure on Hero not because she was a bad mother but because she was a good mother and because she felt that she knew it be it would be harder for Hero and you know York was going to be fine but Hero needed to be 
you know, beautiful and smart and thin and perfect, you know, like that they're that, and those are not, not because of some reflection on Jennifer, but because like then she will be, she will do better in this world. And you see the way that Jennifer is aware of how women are viewed from the very beginning, from the pilot, when she's telling Christine to go fix her nails. Um, And so I think that Jennifer, I think what Victoria says to Hero at the pool where she says, you know, you flamed out, like, I think is true. I think that Hero, you know, it it was like, it was too much. And then she just, you know, went in the opposite direction. And, And there's a, there's a way in which being told from at whatever point, you know, some teenagehood that your brother is the, is the jester and you're the problem and that you're the selfish one. Like those things, those, the ways that your family talks about you creates the way you are. You know, I think that, I think you step into the role you're given. Um, And so I think that hero obviously has a lot that she should feel guilty about. And uh, you know, I think the way she treats Sam, it sucks. Um, But I also think that she, that it's a miscommunication in part because of the way she feels about herself. So like when he says to her, I don't want to hook up with you because I, the, it'll just start the clock. I think that, I mean, the way, and she says it, she's like, Oh, you think I'm a whore? Like, he's like, that's not what I fucking am saying. But like, (laughs) you you know, I think she feels rejected by him in that moment where they kiss and he pulls away even though she can't totally recognize that like maybe he pulled away because he fucked up the car. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I think those are things that um, if she liked herself more or if she felt more okay with herself, she might be able to rise above those things, but she's mm-hmm. like a raw nerve. Yeah. And like the power she gets um, at different points for different reasons, feels like she craves that so hard and that ends up driving a lot of her choices. Well, and then at the end, I think that speech that Victoria gives to the Amazons where she says, well, she's talking about Roxanne, but she says she wants to, I don't know exactly, I'm paraphrasing, but she's like, I, well, I want, she wants to make you into what she wants you to be. She wants to brand you. She, Like, I love that the camera at that moment pushes it on Hero. And to me, yeah. it feels like the thing we just saw the whole episode, it's about Jennifer. Mm-hmm. And that's how Hero sees it. Like, oh, I have my whole life been trying to be made into something that my mother wants me to be. And here's my, op- and, and I think that's why she doesn't go with Yorick. It's like, she loves him. She protects him. She does this thing that was, you know, that we know has fucked her up for the entire season. You know, she kills somebody in the beginning and it has, it has sent her on this like horrible descent. And at the very end, she kills again. And this time she, it's not an accident and she chooses to do it. And she does it for her brother in a way it's selfless. Um, but it's also like, she's not going to go with him because she can't be that person anymore. She can't be the person they think she is. Mm. Uh, can we, Oh, I was going to say, can we talk about 355? Maybe you're going to say the exactly same thing. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, you got this. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I would love uh, to talk about 355. Great character. One of our favorites from the comic, obviously. And I feel like there's a point where um, she goes from um, fooling everyone, like just manipulating them by being nice sometimes, harsh sometimes. And then t- I, I feel like she becomes she becomes genuinely like interested in these people and she starts being friends with them. Um, how did you know when did you do that? And how did you know when to do that? If so, 
that was definitely her arc, you know, for the season was going from being a person who has a number instead of a name and who takes orders and who has a ton of hubris. Like, I think she thinks that she is the smartest person in the room always. Indestructible. Um, when they're flying those helicopters, like, you could also crash here. <laughs> Although the helicopters, I think, is the moment where she starts to come undone. Like, I think that she has taken orders. We see her kill somebody at the in the very first episode, but it's somebody has told her that's her mission. And so it's, I think she's able to separate that for herself, that that's not, you know, that's that blood isn't necessarily on her hands. And that's and, a bad person. And these people are just trying to do their jobs. Yeah. And I, and also nobody told her to do it. Nobody told yeah. her to kill the pilots. I mean, Jennifer's sort of like, what are we going to do? And she's like, I'll take care of it. <laughs> but I don't think Jennifer was saying, please kill them. No. Um, <laughs> and so I think for 355 and it's the next episode where you see her sleepwalking in that dream sequence like i think that her personhood is just it's like blooming in this you know she can't keep it contained and it's something that she's she's been able to keep herself separate from her work for her you know for the entire time she's been a member of this organization but i think the idea that the culprit ring may not even exist anymore um, has unmoored her. And now, you know, over the course of the season, slowly but surely, she is starting to see the value in Yorick as a person. Um, and and certainly Allison as a person who I think she's having, you know, feelings for. Is, uh, we certainly talked about this a lot of the podcasts as well, but uh, what's happening to 355? So based on what you're saying, it sounds like it's kind of a natural thing, just like the stress of the situation, everything going on is causing her to break down versus some sort of chemical thing that's happening because of the culper ring programming breaking down there or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I feel like, uh, yes, I don't think it is like a born identity type of okay. thing. Like, I think that it's, you know, she sort of intends, she talks about the night her family died and the sort of the jazz club and the way, you know, I think it's like this traumatic event that is in some ways banal, like people die in car accidents. It's not like she, it wasn't a, it wasn't, you know, the fog of war in Iraq or whatever. Like she, she was a kid everybody was angry and she felt responsible and then they were all dead and she was alone. And suddenly she was, you know, thrust into this system, foster care system that she didn't feel she belonged in. She wasn't like those kids. She had a family that loved her and they were gone. And then somebody came and told her she was special and she wants to feel that. And I think that's something that I really liked about the comic book. Like everyone in the comic book feels like the event was their fault there's like sort of a special brand of narcissism for each of the characters. I didn't feel like it made sense for the series for it to be like literal, like that, that three, five, five <laughs> took the amulet out of Jordan or that, or that um, Allison feels that her research literally created the event. Um, but I think that that feeling that like specialness that is both like a yearning to be special and then, um, a fear that, you, you know, that imposter syndrome, which is also what Allison is dealing with the whole season, I think is important to this kind of group of chosen people. Like they're the chosen ones, but not really, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, mm -hmm. is three yeah. special or was she told she was special and she believed in them that made her special? Like, 
Allison wasn't even on the list. You know, like she, is she the smartest person or did she, or does her belief that she is make her that, you know? Hmm. And That's you great. also mentioned 355 and Allison are having feelings for each other. So were we yeah. potentially yeah. heading towards Don't you some... you feel it? Can't you feel it? I felt yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, there's some heavy <laughs> spooning at the end of the season. Absolutely. Now, yeah. Aggressive the only, spooning. The only reason yeah. I ask, and this is a spoiler warning for anybody who's listening who hasn't read the comic book, but it definitely heads in the direction of 355 and Yorick in the comic book. Uh, were you potentially going to head in another direction with the series or will? I mean, I, yes, I heard you guys talk about this on the podcast. I feel like for the sake of the story, all of those options are still on the table, right? Like all of the triangulations, feelings are on the table at the same time. Like personally, that part of the comic book, I was like, I don't know. I, it didn't yeah. feel I, like, I don't know if I feel that like, and there is something about, um, to me, a show that, you know, there's, there are other men on the show. It's not, there's not just one man on the show, but it's, it's, you know, majority women. It's a show that centers women. And for a show that centers women to have the central romantic relationship, not be, a heterosexual one and and the relationship between a man and a woman in it ultimately be about like a deep bond but not necessarily a sexual bond i think is pretty cool so i that, agree that, just, yeah. i don't want to like i mean that maybe that gives it away but i think allison and, and 355 are the people you should be shipping well, yeah. yes, I'm shipping. shipping. I, don't know, shipping I don't know how to hashtag that exactly because some of it is numbers, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll definitely figure it out somehow. Uh, three, five, man. Uh, <laughs> what I, I mean, the, the love triangle of it all, even if it if it doesn't go, the three, five, five having having feelings for York. York feels as the puppy that he is feels like he will inevitably be like, I love you. You trained me. I'll like that. So that as a, in a central triangle, I think works no matter how it's going to end up it is an exciting story yeah i think also he is a straight cis man in a world where i think i think it will be an interesting evolution for him to have really strong feelings for a woman like love feelings and be able to extract sex from them like i think that he i think it's like you know, he's a, yeah, I mean, he loves Beth and he'll follow her to Australia and do whatever she wants and be her professional fiance. Like that is a little bit how he thinks of himself. Like he's floundering. He doesn't have an identity of his own in some ways, because I think he's questioning a lot about himself. He feels whatever he's not, he, he doesn't feel like he's on sure footing as a person yet. But if Beth has all these ambitions and I can attach myself to her, maybe that will kind of rub off on me and I'll be like the best boyfriend there is. And I think that that is, you know, maybe how he's gone about his life with women a little bit, you know, and uh, that, so yes, it will be interesting. I mean, I'm also excited for like Allison and 355 to sleep together and York to, uh, find out about it yeah what the hell i actually like (laughs) we i did these interviews with uh all the actors at the end of the season just to sort of talk about like where they were with their character where they thought they could go and i asked ben what do you think york would feel if he found out that allison and 355 
slept together. And he said, he was like, I think York would be like, wait, 355 has sex? And not with me? Like, yeah. I thought that was like a pretty good, that was a pretty good. Uh, yeah, you guys good. had a party without me? I was right <laughs> here. What? I, I thought it was just like, that was not something you did. And, and so I was okay with that. But if it is something you do, then not with anybody else, please. <laughs> uh, let's turn and talk about Kimber because she is such an amazing yeah. character to watch over the course of the season. And one of the things that I love about her that, again, we've talked about a lot is speaking as a liberal. You watch her at the beginning of the season. <laughs> you're like, well, this is a terrible person. And then you start to feel for her over the course of the season. And then through various events, she turns into this whole other sort of monster by the end. Do you still have feeling for her? Do you still have empathy for her at the end of the season? I have immense empathy okay. for her. Yeah, and I think that the way that Amber plays that character is so beautiful. And she has yeah. immense empathy for her. I mean, she's not making fun of her in any way. And she's she doesn't think she's a villain. And Amber's, I mean, Amber is an activist and has written like a bunch of books mm -hmm. about like, and she was a founder of the of Time's Up. Like she's not, yeah. her politics could not be <laughs> further away from uh, Kimberly's, but I think that she, that's the only way to like really get it, you know, to make a really satisfying character and potentially a villain. Like I think that Kimberly may end up being a villain in our, I mean, she's been a villain in this season and she could go further in that direction. But I think that hopefully you understand the ways that her grief has like hardened and become a rock in her soul. Like, I think mm, it's yeah. like, you know, she's not, she's the only character you don't see, you know, see their dead kids or whatever. And that's purposeful both for like your ability to watch the show, but also for, um, because she does, she's like putting it away. Like it's not something that she wants to think about. And she is focused entirely on fixing this, becoming a mother again, like eyes on the future. I can, I can get my identity back. And, uh, and I think, but I think you understand where that's coming from and that's hopefully, you know, yeah. So I, I definitely empathize with her. She's a great but I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what I love about her, though, is like I, I do sympathize with her as well because she's the one whose life was the most settled and like figured out when all this happened. Everyone else is a little bit out and like, like I don't know what I'm going to do. So that makes them easier, ready, more ready to adjust when this happens. For her, she's like, it's all taken away. She had already put it all away and was like, here's what I'm going to be. And then she, over the course of the season, she's write a lot she's like someone's lying there's a lie here and she can't and i i feel i'm like i you're right and you, we're programmed as viewers to be like bad she's a bad guy but then like it's like she's right for like multiple episodes before she then sort of turns again she's so like totally, I, she's totally right and jennifer like i mean i think that the interesting thing about jennifer's character is that she has wanted to be president her entire career finally gets it and it's under the worst circumstances. There's too many problems to solve. She'll never be successful at solving all of them. And on top of that, she now has this secret that she decides to keep. I mean, for better or for worse, like that's the decision that she makes. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it doesn't help that the moment she realizes Yorick is alive, she also realizes Regina is alive. And that, you know, hmm. that there is a there's a, a, you know, a usurper with a claim. Um, and it makes it, it makes it clear to her at that moment that she's got to keep him a secret, but then now she's the kind of president who keeps secrets like that, which is not, I think something that she would have wanted to be. 
Um, so that's a moral gray area. And Kim's not wrong that, you know, when she says like, or I think maybe Regina says like this sisterhood you thought you were building is bullshit. And yeah. that's both true and not true. I mean, it is kind of true. Like she didn't, she didn't trust those women to hold that secret. Yeah. Um, it is funny though. You say she always wanted to be president and then she has to keep this lie. I uh, keep, uh, keep the secret and tell this lie. But I, she's very, and even though it's emotional to her when she's like finding out that maybe York was killed both in the helicopter crash and later on with the soldier, she, but she, is there something in her where she's like, I'm good at this. This is, I'm a good president because I can keep this horrifying lie uh, and I maintain, doesn't even break a sweat in that moment. I mean, I definitely think that she has a lot of grit. Like I do think, I think she's a good president for that. And I think she probably uh, feels that too. I mean, there's also a part of her that wants to be president and is like, I'm not giving it up. And I think that that's not necessarily, and the ambition, especially in women, is something that we think of as like a bad thing. Um, And I think like two things can be true at the same, like she can be good at this and she's keeping it all together and she's going to maintain the line. She's going to, you know, but she puts Christine in an awful position um, to keep that lie for her. But at the same time, it's like, she's, she's brought her into the inner circle. Like now this mentor mentee relationship is like, you know, I think Christine would never have said like, I didn't want this secret on, like, I don't want to know this. I think she's happy to be in the inner circle, but those boundaries and that, the complication and grayness in those relationships and in those choices, I think is like where the fun lies. Now, not to take a swerve, but I do want to talk about uh, the end of the season or rather the slightly early end of the season, because you did announce on Twitter that the show wasn't continuing at FX on Hulu after the seventh, before the seventh episode. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, I know there was the, there was a great report in THR about it and there's been a lot of talk about it online, but what actually went on behind the scenes? What what led to this decision and ultimately to you sending out this tweet? I mean, the Hollywood Reporter article is great. Um, that's all basically what it is. Um, you know, because the show, you know, a bunch of the actors had been in, involved in a previous pilot. So there's like all of these contract thing. It's boring, but also <laughs> like, and then, you know, a new showrunner came in and then a completely new show happened. And then COVID hit and then we had to, you know, so people's contracts kept getting pushed and essentially the actors deals were up in October, early October and FX had to make a decision about whether to pick them up for like millions of dollars. Um, And they chose not to, I mean, I think that they, um, they were very happy creatively with the show they were really great partners and um I had pitched them season two they were really excited about it I think you know our numbers were like not awesome but at the same time I think like the way people watch shows now is very different mm-hmm. um so it's a very incomplete set of data like you can't uh I don't think you can judge what an audience for a streaming show like this is uh, halfway through the season. Um, nobody would have announced it. We were all agreed that we were not going to announce it, but then I think, you know, I, we were hearing rumblings that people knew like Mm -hmm. report, like, you know, 
whatever it was going to come out. And I just felt like I'd rather, you know, cause at that point I was, I feel very determined to move it somewhere else. I think the show's really good. I think that it's long form storytelling. Like part of it is, you know, I don't know, like maybe people don't necessarily want to start a show where a bunch of people, where half the world dies in the middle of a pandemic, but then you get to the end of the season and then you tell your friends like, no, no, it's, it's not really that. Like you just, yes, you know, watch those, but get to, you know, you at least have to get to episode seven or whatever. Um, And then I think the audience grows. But I just, you know, I don't know. It's it sucks. It's it sucks. I hate it. But I am very, uh, I am optimistic about go, going somewhere else. It does feel like there's never been a better time to be doing that uh, yeah. to move a show because, like, uh, uh, new f- people are coming to shows when they move to a different streaming service in a way that I can't believe and is so it's meaning so much to to previous fans and just to like, oh look, let's do. Th-. It's easier that for us to just. We have a one season already. We can just do the second season, show the first season, and let's go. Rather than start over from zero, and maybe the show can't even get off the ground or whatever. So it, it does feel yeah. like a good time to be doing this. Well, and also, like, it's, I think the show, it's like each episode builds on itself. Yeah. And then by the, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but like, to me, I think like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, it's like gets better and better and better and better. And then you're like, ah, gotta see season two (laughs) and i have a really great pitch for season two and i'm pitching it and you know i think that uh it's exciting i think people would be lucky uh any network would be lucky to have this group of people i mean it really um we have a super committed group of people well and not only that you have 10 episodes that you can show people like you're saying it's not like the previous decade and a half of development or anything like that, where it's like, what does this look like? I don't know what this looks like. You say, here's 10 hours, <laughs> what it looks like yeah. right here. Um, no. What, I, I don't know if you could talk about this at all, but what is the process like at this point for you? Is it calling up Reed Hastings and Netflix and be like, hello, would you like to pick oh, up? Hello. Hello, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Hastings. Mr. Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's uh, my agent's, calling people and getting uh, networks that might be the kind of networks that would be good for this to watch the show if they haven't been watching it. And then at some point I will, some point soon, I think I will meet with them and tell them how great it is and how they should do it. Is it, um, so is it like, it's like pitching a show from the beginning, but with just the best like sample tape you could ever have? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that this show is you know there's not it, it it can't go anywhere right i mean it's not it's not there's a there's a narrow group of prestige to, i mean that's a whatever that's a stupid term but you know what i mean like it's a yeah high concept world building big drama show um and so but yeah i think essentially it'll be like hey did you like those episodes like they were really good right <laughs> I mean, I think want some a, more. I mean, obviously, I made it. I'm super biased, but like, if I watch those, <laughs> I I just watched episode ten for the five millionth time. But like this morning, and I was like, 
this is good i want to see more let's see more yeah no it is great i mean just to talk about the end of the episode like finally having everybody together in this silo being like okay what do we want to do what do we want to do next what's our mission and then suddenly getting this swerve of the culper ring coming in and potentially being obviously you know more than we do but just potentially being like some sort of monolithic organization giving it all overall structure and propulsion and deviousness to the season that's exciting that's an exciting thing that i would definitely want to see so you would want to see it it's great it's going to be really (laughs) good yeah and also you know other characters now knowing that york exists so kimberly knowing christine knowing the amazons i mean maybe not the like sort of um soldier amazons but victoria and hero no all of that is like even if the people aren't in the same uh place those stories start to feel less separate because it's like all kind of crunching in on what you know what's going to happen to him what what yeah go ahead and that's something we talked about is like in a world, um, in in the world of this show, in, in the world of the comic book, it was like, he, there's one man, there he is, he looks like a man. And in this show, you you brought up the actual reality of our world, that like, uh, people look like men, people, like, everyone looks how they want to look. And so we were, at the beginning of the show, we were like, how are they going to make Yorick the prize? Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to say, like, the way it came together here, it, by chasing the personal relationships, feels like a harder task but when accomplished it makes the chase much more intense uh going forward from here well and i think it also makes like the other men in this world interesting characters who like for sam his story mirrors york's in lots of ways and he has you know he's the only man in this group of women who've all been harmed by men and his existence there is dangerous but but if he had gone to the radiohead vigil and like met the guy that york met there like he might have been in a better you know might have been nice like you know you sing songs every sunday and people are cool you don't have to wear a mask like i think (laughs) interesting you know the the and there's a lot more story to tell about men in this world um that we've broken for season two and that would be awesome and will be awesome. So at this point then what can fans do to support the efforts to get a season two, if anything? I mean, the best thing that people can do is watch the show and tell other people to watch the show and encourage people. Yeah. I mean, encourage people to binge it. I think those numbers do matter in terms of somebody else wanting to do the show and feeling like there's a built in audience and, um, yeah, I mean, that watching it, getting other people to watching it, to watch it and watching it. Those are the things you can do. All I mean, right. you can tweet, but really the watching it is the... Is the the watching it is the important part. Okay, we're on yeah. it. We're right. on it. It's our mission. Great, right. great. Right. Uh, Eliza, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thank you for the awesome show. We appreciate yeah, it. And really fingers it. crossed, we're hoping we get picked up our podcast very specifically. Yeah, we're trying to get a second season of the podcast. So <laughs> I uh, love your podcast, guys. Oh my god, really, uh, it's really, really good. Thank really you. Smart. Uh, 
And if you'd like to support this podcast and other podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about why The Last Man. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, hashtag why lives on. Oh, that's why the cast, man. We figured it out. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.